Hey, faithful listeners. Do you have an idea for an episode topic? Do you have your own opinions about what we talk about when we talk about zombies? Do you suspect someone of mind wizardry? Are you your own grandpa? Do you suspect us of mind wizardry? Let us know what you're thinking by emailing us at suggestions at lifenarrated.com. Listeners, and welcome to Life Narrated, the podcast about life and the stories we tell. My name is Emily, and I am in love with a robot on the run. My name is Lauren, and I make origami unicorns. I'm Matt, and I'm the ghost in your machine. Oh, man. And today we're talking about cyberpunk. Um, We... How did this topic come about, you ask? It's so interesting. (laughs) Emily, my dear sister, and the the host of our beautiful podcast... (laughs) has a gigantic blind spot in her media knowledge, and it's cyberpunk. <laughs> Basically, I guess. She's the worst person. <laughs> like, last time Matthew tried to make me watch The Matrix, I fell asleep. Even though I promised... Can you imagine that? ...on this podcast that I would watch it. I remember po- promising him on the podcast. We did as well. And we tried to watch it, and she fell asleep. I did. But this time, we took no chances. That's we right. sat with her on either side. <laughs> During the day. her eyes open <laughs> yesterday... While we watched both Ghost in the Shell and uh, Blade Runner. Blade Runner, which I at first confused with Blade. Not the same thing, listeners. <laughs> Just so you know. Very different types <laughs> Very of movies. Different. Both awesome. I will give you I will give you that it is it's the same word. <laughs> <laughs> so that that is the but I think that's where the like similarities end. Similarities end. end. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, but anyway, so yes yeah, yesterday we went and did a very small little movie marathon with Emily because she's just a worthless human being. Now she's slightly more valuable. <laughs> now she's slightly more valuable to society. Exactly. And because we've been talking about it all weekend, we decided to do a podcast on cyberpunk instead of werewolves, which was our, our first topic. Yeah, but we'll do that later. And since we are oh, all... Oh, we're doing. Oh, we're doing We're werewolves. doing the werewolves. <laughs> I've got to complete this set. My OCD won't <laughs> allow me to not do that. Um, but first we want to talk about a definition for cyberpunk and... You're getting this from Wikipedia. Wikipedia, I mean, our good friend. Where Wikipedia. everything comes from. Friend of the show. Wikipedia. <laughs> if you like the show, uh, donate to it. And yeah. Also to donate to Wikipedia. And right. Also send us some money. So this is uh, not to be confused with cypherpunk. I don't think that would ever happen. <laughs> cyberpunk is a subgenre of science fiction in a future setting that tends to focus on society as high tech, low life. Featuring advanced technological and scientific achievements, such as information technology and cybernetics, juxtaposed with a degree of breakdown or radical change in the social order. Cyberpunk plots often center on conflicts among artificial intelligence, hackers, and megacorporations, and tend to be set in a near-future Earth rather than in the far-future settings or galactic vistas found in uh, certain other materials, which... Okay. Or whatever. And it says, the last thing I'll say is the settings are usually post-industrial dystopias, but tend to feature extraordinary cultural ferment and the use of technology in ways never anticipated by the original inventors. So here's a question. Given our discussion of dystopian last time, 
do all of these uh, work as dystopians? I think like a good. I think Square Rhombus, right? Uh, like a lot of them do. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I think like that not all, not all uh, dystopians are cyberpunk, obviously, but cyberpunks can be dystopians. Well, yeah. Okay. Because I okay, so let's we can actually discuss this when we're discussing the media, I guess, and like kind of go through it and figure out which ones sure. are. Because uh, I don't think like they can. They're both mutually inclusive. Like I don't think if you have a cyberpunk movie or narrative, it's always a dystopia. Sometimes it's just like kind of a shitty place to live. It's not necessarily like there's right. no authoritarian like overlords. It wasn't anyone's idea of a perfect place. Yeah, like there's no in group necessarily. It's yeah. just like shit, shit for everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, okay. there's also it's very common for it to be dystopia as well. So. But anyways, yeah. I think this is a good topic we'll talk about in a couple minutes. Yeah, and uh, we just wanted to go through the origins real fast um, about when it started. Um, so my understanding, and I'm going to look at our good friend Wikipedia real quick to make sure that I'm right, is that they uh, it started in the uh, 1960s, 1970s alt sci-fi movement. New wave. New wave sci-fi movement, that's right. Uh, with, with authors like uh, William Gibson and... Uh, the guy who wrote Snow Crash, whose name I forget. William G- William Gibson is the person who wrote Neuromancer. He wrote Neuromancer, right. We actually met him once. We did. I have a signed c- copy of his latest book, yeah. Peripheral, but I have not read it yet. He's <laughs> super old. Yeah. And it's, just so you know, it is, New Wave science fiction is totally borrowed from the French New Wave, which mm. is a film... Can you tell us a little bit about mean, that? I don't know anything do you mean about the, that. The word, the phrase "new wave," or like of the conventions in the new sci-fi new wave. Like the so they called it they called it new wave science fiction, as like because of the new because wave of the French cinema. new wave, which is a movie style. Okay, sure. can you tell us in a the little like about late that? so like in the late fifties sixties is the French new wave kind of came about and the it's like basically it was like a bunch of filmmakers were like i reject this whole idea and i want to do something different and so they made like it's it's known for like it's iconoclasm and it's known for it's like non-linear structure and it's like you know and the camera movement itself having a moving camera chapter titles or a big french new wave trope yeah like have you ever seen a movie with chapter titles in it it's okay. like derivative of French New Wave film okay. and it's and and it was they were also like more about like society today as opposed to like creating historical films okay. or or fiction so you know they were they were actually like the subject of the films were more contemporary and more like not necessarily more political, but like you know, more relevant to your more life relevant. today. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like. So that makes sense as like a result. It would take sci-fi and some of those themes from the French New exactly. Wave and exactly swoosh them together. Right, and they and they occurred like I said, like the French New Wave was like in the late fifties, sixties, and then the like New Wave science fiction that we're talking about was sixties and seventies. So, so they yeah. did. It's like okay. kind of moved into it flowed. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I kind of like the idea of cyberpunk as this intermediate time between the time that is now and the time when we have, like, colonies on Mars. It's, like, almost, like, before we ever reach this utopian thing that everyone thinks is going to happen where machines have run our lives and everything is fantastic, like, what happens 
before that, like what is the the growing pain stage, the yeah. transitional stage, mm-hmm. and maybe it's also a little bit like um, what is the maybe that stage that everyone thinks is going to happen never does happen. Sure, the, we're constantly in that. What you I like that growing pains phase where yeah. you think like okay. This will get better. Right. It's got to. Yeah. And the it robots does, it and stuff. Does yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Or like the robots revolt. And then you're like, fuck, okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it, that's a good way to the, look at it. Like it's the, the reality of becoming this utopian computerized society, but you maybe never actually reach that stage where you become a computerized utopian society. Sure. There's a couple offshoots uh, we wanted to talk about real quick. Um, sure, yeah. So, like, cyber, there's a few things I want to mention. First thing is that um, the William Gibson, the guy that uh, we had talked about as, like, one of the founding fathers of cyberpunk... Wrote ne- Neuromancer. He wrote Neuromancer, and he uh, coined the term cyberspace. So if you ever hear that... It's like his contribution to the lingering like lexicon of our, oh, like, cool. of our lives, and that was way before the internet even really existed. It was like the eighties and the seventies. Oh, really? So. so he kind of envisioned this this interconnected digital space. Yeah. Calling it cyberspace, and now we use that for you know just like general everyday term about internet. Yeah. Okay. First thing. Second thing is um, cyberpunk is a, a subgenre of sci-fi, um, but it in turn has spawned lots of its own little subgenres. Um, because people started taking this idea of taking a, a dominant technology and applying it to everything in a society and like using that as a jumping off point for narrative. So there's a bunch of different like sub-sub-genres that are, um, that are prevalent nowadays. Like, for instance, you've probably heard of steampunk. Yeah. Where everyone is like steam-powered Victorian era kind of thing. Right. There's no digital technology or very little... But everyone can like do all sorts of cool stuff because they've like utilized steam power to like an incredible right. extent, and so that's like a subgenre that's based on cyberpunk. That's why it's called steampunk. Yeah. But there's other ones like um, biopunk, wherein everyone uh, has really developed the technology of like bio manipulation has really developed. So like people change their bodies or the body. Like Bioshock, obviously game, heavily in yeah. like I feel like that's a really good like kind of modern. Easily recognizable example of that. Yeah, and and we would say Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, would be a biopunk. You think? I mean, it's I probably think, a precursor. Yeah, like maybe I guess like because like you could also argue it's like the very first sci-fi novel. Yeah. Ever, so like yeah, yeah. They didn't have. I don't it. think. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say I wouldn't go so far as to say that that it, that it's biopunk, but only because it's like it's more about like technology creating life as opposed to like. Life is there and alter, alterating it to make it better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So not like to cre- recreate life. Yeah, like, like, uh, Mary Shelley is about like bringing something dead back to life, whereas I think biopunk is more about like you're alive, but you could be better. Right. Here's this yeah. thing to do that. So I I read this book once where it was like a retelling of the Scarlet Pimpernel, but Ooh. part of it, which is great, but part of it was that. Um, in order to wear disguises, they had these genetic altering, like, um, uh, shot concoctions, I guess, that you could take. So you, like, drink it, or I think it's a, a injection, but you, like, it would age someone 30 years, uh, for, like, two hours or something. And... Mm-hmm. Age potion. Yeah, basically, but it would, it manipulated <laughs> your genetics. You could also 
do things like, you know, splice cat DNA into yourself if you wanted to and things like that. Oh, my that. God. That movie, um, what is it, uh, Jupiter Rising? I never read the book, but, like, I There's love... no book. It's that, it looks like there's a book, but there isn't a book. I thought it was based on... Okay, maybe loosely based on something, but it's, that's just it? Yeah. Anyways. I love it. There's maybe. a part in that movie, which I watched because I was like, okay. And then you... And then, like, instant regret. <laughs> But you, you've rented it, so fuck it. Um, there's a part where, like, Channing Tatum's character is like, right. I have more genetic, like... I have com- more genetically in common with the dog, dog. Than with you. And she's like, I like dogs. I've always liked dogs. Right, right. <laughs> that, that, that was, like, one of those things where I think that could be considered biopunk in the sense that, like, yeah, so they're splicing yeah, animal geez. DNA into, like, humanoid creatures to give them... Yeah, to give them attributes. Yeah. Of said animal that makes them better at whatever their function's gonna be. I like that one of them was spliced with a bee, and he was, like, he just had bees living in his house with him. He just, like, lived his life that way. Well, and also, apparently, if you're queen of the universe, you can control bees. You can control bees. Yep, that happens. Control the pollinators, and you are God! Let's keep going on the different (laughs) things we've guys. Clearly, we should do an episode on biopunk. Um, there's, uh... Raygun Gothic or Atom Punk, in which everything is atomic powered. So this is like a lot of your your classic oh. sci-fi from the fifties and like uh, Isaac Asimov's uh, okay. Foundation trilogy. Yeah, I mean, that's, Ant-Man. that's more of a maybe Ant Man. The Foundation trilogy is more of like a space opera, but yeah, this but that would fit. There's okay. Um, uh, Solar Punk, which is apparently the most recent. Variation. Ooh, I can see that. But basically, what it does is like takes like this technology and kind of makes it. It's kind of like utopia, where everything's really cool except for some people. So it's like instead of things being bad for like most people, there's just a few people that are like not content with like everything being perfect. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. Ugh. It says here a future where technology is reconciled with ecology. Everything's powered by renewable energy, and people live in a free and egalitarian society. So, Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you got the, you got the, like, you know, the people who are, like, well, I think about the, like, the, the Klingons, right? Because they're a warlike community, but then you have, like, the Federation planets who are all, like, no, let's, let's, let's be explorers and share sure. and that sort of thing. I mean, technically, if you want to get into it, like, the Klingons are allied with... The Federation, that's not here Well, mean, Romulans, then I don't know. <laughs> they don't. They don't act like they're allied with the Federation. It's a, so. it's a tenuous relationship. I mean, they're jackoffs, but <laughs> moving, yeah, <laughs> but right. moving on. It doesn't matter. But the point is, there's lots of like sub-punk genres that have been that kind of cropped up now that cyberpunk kind of led the way for them to kind of define themselves in the context of sci-fi and everything else, which I think is really interesting. And we might want to do an episode on one of those in the future. Specifically, we were talking yesterday when we were watching these movies, like, what are the themes? Like, we we would just find, like, what it looks like, kind of, and, like, the elements that are involved in the story. But what we were talking about is, like, the themes of um, what it means to be human and what make what makes a human a human? Yeah, too. what makes you like, a human? What it means to be human, and what what makes a human a human? Like a I think yeah, kind of what makes you you? What makes yeah. you an individual? Yeah, yeah. And then the third one was: at what point does AI become 
a human, an individual. Consentient. Consentient. And, like, what is the difference between a sentient AI and a human? Um, or is there a difference? So, I watched this really creepy movie the other day called Ex Machina. Okay. Have you guys seen that? I have not. I haven't, but I think part of the reason why I haven't done it is because I think you and Brian told me it was fucking creepy. It's creepy. So, basically, the premise is, and spoilers, because it's, like, five years old now, so get over it. But basically, I mean, spoilers, but also... Yeah. <laughs> this guy gets, like, selected by, like, random lottery by his boss, and he works for, like, this Google-type super, like, computer company or yeah. whatever. And he's randomly selected to come to this island, like, habitat where he can take part in the most amazing experience of technological wonder ever. That sounds like a conceived. bad idea. So he, it's just him and, like, the, the Steve Jobs character boss. Okay. Except he's, like, really young. He's, like, an entrepreneur bro, like, coder bro. And he drinks all the time. Exactly, and he just like lifts weights (laughs) all day. (laughs) Of course, he does. But the he's like he's like super irresponsible. Like from the moment you see him, you're like, oh god, this is gonna (laughs) go badly. But what he's done is he's created like um, general like complete AI, and he's like put it in like a lady's body, and basically the the dude that got selected. Of course he did. Although of course he did. did. Of course he did. (laughs) But the guy that got selected to come, he's there to to give it a Turing test. Ostensibly. Okay. So, like, so explain explain that, because I think we've mentioned that on the sure, podcast yes, before, yes. but I think it bears mentioning again so, because it's relevant to this sure. entire genre. Yeah. You're done? Okay. <laughs> um, now I am! <laughs> okay. Ass! Can I go? Yes. <laughs> the Turing test is um, basically when... Uh, it's a test you give to AI computers or programs or whatever, and basically the you shield the human participant from the computer, so either through a text box or something, a chat client, and you, you have to make the computer be indistinguishable from a human via text communication. Mm-hmm. So and if, if it is indistinguishable from a human, uh, then it's past the Turing desk and it's said to have like like a very strong AI. But if it doesn't, if you, you can tell immediately which one of these, these people you're talking to is a computer, then it's like obviously has a computer ever passed the Turing test? Is yes, that a actually, right, like a couple times now, and they've done it by like kind of like weird ways. So, for instance, the most recent example was one where they told the participant that they were talking to a, like a five-year-old child with autism. Oh, and so <laughs> that's cheating. It's yeah. a little bit like social engineering, a little bit. But then once that was in his head, he couldn't. He was like, "Oh, let's just he's a kid with autism, obviously." Yeah, because he has autism. Yeah, okay. so it, it did pass technically, but it was like. Uh. Yeah, but they've done things like that. But that feels kind of unethical in yeah. the sense that now you're... It's like leading a witness kind of thing, yeah. you know? Like, it's like, did it really pass? Or did that per- is that person just being, like, overly compassionate because they were given information that would... Right? Like, if someone's like, you're talking to a five-year-old autistic child, you'd be like, okay, buddy, like, yeah. well, you can say the weirdest shit to me, and I don't want to be judgmental of you. Yeah. So. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But anyways, this movie... I'll speed up my explanation... Um, basically, it turns out that not only is he there to test her for the Turing test, but part of the Turing test, this like advanced version of the Turing test, is that he the the robot has to make the guy fall in love with her. Oh man! That's like her objective. That's her objective. That's like, that's the secret objective for her as a test. Like if you can empathize so just like incredibly with a computer, yeah, that you fall in love with it, then like it's clearly as good as a human can be. Interesting. But it takes a twist. Yeah. She is a robot, and if she fails this test, she's gonna die, 
and be rebuilt as a different robot. Oh, so she's and she like, knows that? She knows that, because there's been ones come before her. Okay. And she's like, well, fuck this, I'm getting out. And so she manipulates the dude to get her out and, like, let her free. Oh, my God. And she ends up killing everybody in the facility. Yeah, good and, like, girl. escaping into the wild as, like, a, just a human-looking computer. See, typically I'm not on the side of androids, but in this case I kind of am. It was extremely am. ambiguous, yeah, yeah, because, like, it was very clear that, like, it was basically, like, a body horror hell show for those robots. And, like, they were very, like, empathetic and they were highly advanced robots. Yeah. Have you guys case. seen Westworld? Mm-mm. I've seen the first half. I haven't seen the end. So I'm not going to spoil it, but only because Emily's here. But, Thank like, you. it's a very similar idea yeah. where yeah. these robots are, like, having memories. But it's also, like, are we? So it, it's a, it, it is very, it is very similar in that vein of, like, they, what, so Westworld was a movie made, like, however long ago, and they... By Michael Crichton. Yeah, and they've got the television show that's come out on HBO, and the but the, the idea is that it's, like, this kind of free-range... Theme park. Theme park, where, so, like, there are human beings who go to this thing, and they're interacting with androids, essentially, and they have certain storylines, and, you know, it's complicated, and... Things can kind of only veer off so much, though. But that you, they're having these incidences of them, the the androids, um, getting like, Remembering. getting like way, like getting way off track, and like, like why are you even here? This is your sector, sort of stuff. Yeah. And then right, and then you have, and then you have some that are like remembering stuff, and so they have like, they're the, you know, some of them remembering these things that they're referring to as God. Or gods, and it's these like, like so we watching the show are like, oh, those are like people in biohazard suits. So like, for example, if someone shoots an android, you're allowed to do whatever you want to them. So you could, you can shoot them or kill them or incite them to a fight, or you can, they'll, you know, they're they're prostitutes in the game who, you know, their whole thing is to have sex with you, but you could also rape them. Yeah, women who are not prostitutes who like their whole thing is that you get to rape her like yeah it's like yeah so so they're having these like memories and so what happens is like yeah so they like you know they die or whatever and they get collected by these men in hazmat suits Mm -hmm. and they don't understand and so they're having these like memories and so it's like the kind of similar thing where they're like why do i remember these things oh my gosh but they also have what they'll do is they'll erase them and then give them alternate storylines so there's like characters in it who are like, I had a daughter. No, you don't. You've been the, you know, you've been the madam of this place for mm-hmm. however long. Well, when this thing first opened, it was a different storyline. So it's that weird sure, yeah. kind of like, they're becoming sentient or are they? You know. But so- I think the mo- one of the most interesting things about that is that they're the creator guy. He makes the robots and he programs them. Mm-hmm. And there's one robot that is his favorite, and he talks to her a lot. But not only that, but he's basically taught her to remember because mm-hmm. he's he's obsessed with the idea of them being sentient and yeah, like he empathizes with them and so, so he wants it to happen. Yeah, and I this see. is the robot that, by the way, gets raped all the time. And so of course it is. yeah, and she's like he's trying to it's HBO. right. <laughs> he he's basically like, have you told anyone about our talks? No. Do you remember what happened to you? Yes. And, like, they talk about 
things that happened previous to the last time she was erased that they were talking about. Mm -hmm. So it. So it's clear that she kind of remembers the talks at least. Yeah, and so it's kind of unclear. And she talks. He asks her questions like, "How did that make you feel? Why did you do that?" Um, And et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes she answers like, "I'm coded to do that. I'm coded to do empathy." Mm -hmm. Or sometimes she's just like. felt like a good idea to do and so it's really and then he'll say things like um rewind and erase that last comment or something like that and then she has to do it and so it's really hard to see if she's human or she's not like because she's responding to commands like a computer Mm -hmm. but then she also has these empathetic you know feelings and things like that that's interesting you guys should watch ex machina because like there's a lot of that like in the in the in the movie because like at first, you're like, oh, this is just a computer trying to talk to you and trying to pretend to be human. And then by, like, the midpoint, you're like, oh, it's clearly sentient. It's clearly... Yeah, fighting for itself. Right, but yeah. no, wait, it gets weird because, like, you're for, at, by the middle of the movie, you're like, this is clearly a robot that's a human, that's sentient, and, like, yeah. it should be let out, end of movie, let's do it. And then the last half of the movie, you're like, oh, no, it's clearly a robot that's trying to get out. It's not just trying to pass the test and survive. Oh. Like... It's trying to leave. It's like... So it goes... It like... Its motivations kind of change and shift over the course of the movie. Uh, and you can, like, watch it happening and you're like, oh, yeah. shit. Oh, oh, shit. Oh. Yeah. There's, I guess there's that, like, oh, I can empathize you with not, like, wanting to be destroyed, but I don't know how I feel about you being, like, part of society. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, Blade Runner because yeah. that is, I think, is the most similar... And the, for those of you who haven't watched Blade Runner, uh, you pathetic people. <laughs> <laughs> Emily has been indoctrinated so she can say that. That's yeah, right. yeah. For 24 <laughs> hours now, I have had the knowledge of Blade Runner. Uh-huh. <laughs> you and Rachel are homegirls? That's right. And so what happens uh, in Blade Runner is that uh, he's a guy who tracks down androids who uh, are living among humans, and they're not supposed to be living among humans. They're called replicants. Uh, in the replicants. Movie. So if you hear yeah. us say replicants, we're talking about the androids. And so he has this test for replicants that's like, it's like the Turing test, um, which, by the way, was named after Alan Turing, who was a codebreaker in World War II. Um, and he, uh, the Blade Runner, ex- uh, gives these tests to people. And I think at some point he meets this woman who he gives the test to and does she pass the test or she fails the she test? She fails, but she, it takes a lot longer. Yeah, okay, she she fails after a lot longer. So she's clearly a, a, a replicant, but she just... She's better than any replicant he's seen. Yeah, and he definitely gets to empathize with her and... Um, they definitely bone. They definitely bone. That's how much he empathizes. Yeah. That's right. Um, so she could have got out of that that little cage and ex machina pretty easily. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, but that was also that's also an interesting that's also a very interesting thing. So like with Blade Runner, so the character the the replicant we're talking about is Rachel, and Rachel is like really special, and she is one of a kind because. She does not know that she's a replicant. So when she takes, so when she takes um, the test, that's like news to her. Yeah, well, she doesn't know that she's. She a doesn't yeah. know, and and so the guy, the Terrell, Doctor Terrell, explains that she doesn't know. She's an experiment. Like what we're doing is we're implanting memories. So they gave her these implants from like her childhood they even gave her like false pictures 
of like her and her mother. So she has these memories that make her believe that she's human and they are using that as a way to manipulate her and control her because being unaware of being a replicant she has like no the other replicants like Pris and Roy they want to be free they know they know that they're replicants and they want to be free they don't want to be slaves and work on the off worlds and all this stuff Rachel doesn't have that she just kind of does what she's told because that's her job just like when I go to work and my boss gives tells me to do something, I do it because it's my job. So that's what she's doing. She figures out she's a replicant and it just kind of throws her for a loop. Yeah. Well, she has an emotional response for sure. She's like very realistic in that sense. She but cries. Also, she cries. Another thing that they do, the reason that they give them the, the memories is because the replicants have like a lifespan of about four years. Right. So they don't have the emotional wherewithal to deal with like everyday human situations. But if they have memories... They have memories of responding to things emotionally, which gives them kind of like a buffer of like emotional responses they can draw on when they need to do things. So whereas Pris and Roy kind of do weird shit all the time, like the the scene where he's in like the the eyeball creator's laboratory and the dude is just kind of like putting eyeballs on this guy's head yeah. in a creepy way. That's like a childlike response. It's like very when you play childish. With these like weird yeah. toy squishy things. I'm just going to creep you out yeah. and, like, do this dumb thing. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting thing because, like, they're they're obviously, they look fully grown, like, fully grown humans. <laughs> and it's hard to reconcile that with the fact that they've only been alive for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And they don't have the depth of experience. And they talk about it, too, their yeah. birthday. Like, my birthday is, you know. Incept date. Yeah. That's the word they use. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. But it's, like, two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting, um the dynamic they have there at the end there's kind of this ambiguous thing i we watched the director's cut that's the only thing version i've ever seen the final cut is what we watched the final cut sorry um and they kind of there's this weird dream about a unicorn and matt said it meant that he was a replicant (laughs) uh i don't that's what the, the speculation is and like the generally accepted canon is that roy's a or um Deckard is a replicant, and he doesn't know, and that's kind of, like, the the thing. And, like, I it, don't know if it's he's true. He's such a successful replicant that he is actually hunting down other replicants. Right. He's a unicorn. Exactly. He's, he's one of a kind. Um, yeah, so I think that was an interesting movie. So I have a couple questions for you. I'm like, having never seen it before. Yeah. What did you know about it going in? Nothing. I knew that yeah. Harrison Ford was in it. Okay. And that he was hunting down replicants. That's all I knew. Did you? What did you expect? I don't know what I expected. Yeah, I think I, I was trying to keep a, an open mind and be like... Okay. So having, like, been exposed... Because, like, you really haven't seen... Like, you want, like read a lot of sci-fi and stuff. Yeah, I read a lot. So, like, the concept of, like... Machines that are almost human are yeah. it's not like foreign to you. But it's not my favorite genre. That would that's not Right. But so like did, were you like blown away by these concepts? Did you like think like No, I think that I, particularly good at like versions of, of that What idea? I found interesting was that they were so childlike, that whole they don't have the depth of experience to respond emotionally accurately mm-hmm. to things. I thought that was an interesting aspect that I'd never seen before. Okay. I think um I don't know their makeup. Like, in Westworld, they're, like, entirely organic. Mm-hmm. But I don't know about 
I think it's safe to say that the replicants are organic, replicants. just because they the eyeball guy once again he's a genetic designer. Right. Yeah, and he had real eyeballs. Right. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I think the book probably is better because there's a lot of questions still left unanswered. The book. The um, androids dream of electricity. Okay, this is a short story. This is why I'm confused. Yeah, it's a short story. Well, you can buy it in book form because <laughs> I have that. Okay. It's Nobella. like this thick. For yeah. Podcasting. <laughs> Lauren had her fingers together very close. <laughs> um, I would say, like, you know, good quarter inch. <laughs> There's, uh, yeah, so I think, like, for instance, the fact that they were slaves is kind of interesting. Um, this kind of goes back to our zombie episode. You know, what is, what is terrifying about zombies is that they're made into slaves. Did hmm. um, they're hunger? Yeah, and I... I like the part at the end where Roy shuts down and he says, like... It's like kind of like a long monologue, but it's like kind yeah. of beautiful in his way. He's like, I've seen things you'd never understand. And, like, I've seen sea gleams glitter in the night off the coast of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Twas brilling in the slithy toes yeah. of gyre and gimbal in the wave. Exactly, but, like, when he says it, you're like, whoa, <laughs> that's cool. Like, no humans <laughs> yeah, probably get like, to see that. Wow, I'd like Especially to Especially in a that. world where you can send replicants to do all your fighting. Like, why Why would any human ever see that? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good point. Like, so he's, like, has, like, unique experiences that no human ever will. Yeah, and so, like, what separates him from being human in that point? Because he has experiences and he has thoughts and feelings about those experiences and memories. Yeah. And so what, you know... Nothing really separates him from being human except for the emotional thing and the lifespan. But, like... You know, someone created him in a lab. I guess. I think that's kind of the point of all this stuff is that like, it it cyberpunk in general like, I mean, and, and sci-fi like when we whenever you talk about AI like a lot of times people try to push that boundary of like where does AI and human like where does like a created entity and like a human diverge right or, like, yeah converge yeah more accurately and um, I think basically the thesis is always like. These things should be humans, but look how badly we treat them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes uh, directly into Ghost in the Shell because, for instance, these are entirely synthetic cre- uh, creations, the replicants. But in Ghost in the Shell, for instance, Major, what's her name? Kusanagi. Kusanagi. Major Kusanagi is was human at a certain point. And she's had... Supposedly, what, right? Okay. Like, that, yeah, that was she what questions I got. That. She questions that. And like, right. we're... By the end of the movie, I think you're kind of supposed to question it, too. Like, was she ever, like, a okay. human? Like, so she, it doesn't really matter from her perspective. Yeah, and she... Her understanding in the beginning of the movie is that her brain is partially human and was her brain originally. Yeah. And then her body is synthetic and has been... And it needs high, uh, high she's a cyborg. maintenance. Yeah. yeah. She's a cyborg. So... Like, what, then, is the difference between her and... And there's this high-priority place in this world on, like, the amount of you that is human. I mean... That's true, Not to get insanely political, but that's something that, like, we're hashing out right now, but we're doing it with, like, people... with, With, you know... In terms of, like, and feel free to cut this out, but, like, in terms of abortion. Like, yeah. uh, at what point are you alive? And that sort of idea of, like, you know, it's like, well, we could argue that Major is human because her brain is human. Right? Like, if the rest of her body is completely cybernetic and, you know, is augmented in all these ways, you know, the, and she even has the monologue in the 
elevator where she's like, the only thing that, the only thing that makes me different it from, you know, the androids or whatever is the way people treat me. Yeah. But people treat me that way because there's this assumption that she was human at some point. Yeah. So. Well, and the movie itself kind of like plays on that idea as part of the plot point where the puppet master is, never was human and never could have been human. And yet it is like clearly sentient enough to. It's got its own motivations. Yeah, and exactly. Well, I sought her out because yeah. of who she is. I do want to hit you with some anthropology right here because the reason a lot of not the reason a lot of people have problems with abortion besides religion is because it's this liminal stage. You don't mm-hmm. know when it's not one thing and it's not the other. You don't know if it's alive, you don't know if it's a baby or if it's just a grouping of cells and people in general have hard time with things in liminal stages Mm -hmm. for instance teenage girls they're not children and they're not fully fledged sexual adults and so a lot of people have issues with teenage girls that are unresolved um and you also have problems like when um liminal stages between say a fully completed cybernetic society and a utopia yeah and also like between a human and a computer yeah and I think that's part of it. Like these, even you know, Roy and Pris and uh, Major Kusanagi are all in this liminal stage. Mm-hmm. You can't say they're human, but you cannot say they're you know completely computers either. Right. So yeah, it's it's so uh, it's very interesting. That I think. is a, super fascinating. I, I really like that concept that like just generally speaking, humans have a hard time dealing with like. The gray areas, like yeah, liminal stages, things like that are through. not one thing and they're not the other. Like yeah. they're just, yeah, they're hard to define. And I think we have a we love to label things mm-hmm. like we when love we, our taxonomy. Yeah, taxonomy specifically. Like when there's an animal, we say it's this species or it's this species, and it gives us this idea that there is no in between. That like one species didn't slowly change into the other, which is the case. You know? I think, um, I actually have a theory for why that is. This uh-huh. may be speculation, but, like, there's this idea that, um, you can only hold, like, up to 12 things in your memory at once. Oh, interesting. And so, like, for instance, if you try and make even experts taste, like, 50 different types of vodka and then rate them, oh. they're gonna fail. Oh, like, okay. Even vodka experts will just be like, I don't know. After, too too after, much. After about 12, they're just like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it was like, I'm drunk. I, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> or like chocolate or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's why, like, everyone, or at least me, I know, am like dumbstruck when I walk into the shampoo aisle and there's like a wall of shampoo. That's and a I'm good like, point, yeah. There's no way I can choose because there's more than seven or eight. Yeah. So, there's actually there's actually a term for that, too, that you see a lot with immigrants sure. where they like, especially Russian immigrants, because they're used to like, you know, the living in Russia where it's like, here is the one thing. And then you give people choices and they're like, uh, yeah, yeah. They don't know what to do with it. That makes sense. I do do not, but I could probably find it. We could edit it in, but like, like exactly what you're talking about where it's like you're presented, you're like, Oh God, it's just this over, over information. So, but the way humans get around that is that they group things Mm -hmm. into as few groups as they need to understand them. Okay. So, like, if you can have 12 things in your mind at once, if you group 50 of those things into 12 groups, then you can, within those groups, also think about 12 more. Mm. So, like, 12 subgroups, and then 12 subgroups until you can, like, make intelligent choices about each one. But if you can't group them appropriately, 
then it's very confusing. Yeah. Or you have to create a new group. Right. That Which may difficult. or may not be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, because I think it's like, okay, well, I'll create this new group, but now I'm going to have to try to explain my new group to someone else. Mm-hmm. Or even to myself. Yeah. Right, yeah. I think this has something to do with humans being pattern-matching animals. Because, yeah. like, this pattern is not this, and it's not this, but it's very similar to both. And I can't match it with anything. It's kind exactly. of like you want to. So it has to take up one of your like context. twelve memory slots yeah. for like the one thing that is unlike anything yeah. else. Yeah. And like it's very inefficient use of your your mind space. Yeah. Your memory, I guess. Yeah. So in Ghost in the Shell, like, uh, it's very interesting because they're like, what I understand from it. I've only seen the one, and this was the old one. Came out in nineteen ninety seven, right? Yes. Um, and it's the anime. So, Major Kusanagi no, and... ninety five. Ninety five. 95? But yeah, in the, in the, um, in the 90s. 90s. Yeah. Uh, Major Kusanagi and Section 9 was her section. They're like policemen, but for... I mean, for general purposes, they're specialty policemen. But so, the Foreign Affairs Office was asking them to help with these assassinations or whatever they were trying to do Mm -hmm. um and then they're trying to track down this terrorist that they call the puppet master and the puppet master keeps on he's a terrorist by way of like incredibly good hacking skills right hacking skills and so at some point and it's fun it's interesting because the guy hacks into people's brains and in this this uh story everybody has a cybernetic component to their brain and so some people are just like their memory is erased and they become someone else and they um, operate. They're like agents for this person, even though they don't know who this person is or what this person wants. And it's kind of perfect because they'll capture those people, but not the actual puppet master. Or hence the guy's name. Hence the name. Um, and that's the end. You kind of uh, find out that the puppet master is this like seriously advanced AI that another section has been cultivating in order to perpetrate espionage and like um, nation build and that kind of thing. And it kind of just started asking questions of, like, why am I here? What am I doing? And since it had all this information, it started to act on its own. And they lost control of it. And so they tried to trap it into a body. And that kind of didn't work because it... It did it on its own. It's like, oh, I see that you have this trap set for me. I'm going to go into your trap. But also, I have my own motives that will, like... So it's, it's like, so intelligent yeah. that it's kind of like, okay, I see, I see what you're trying to do here. <laughs> um, I might as well just go ahead and let you think that I'm doing what you want to do and use that to my advantage to do what I want to do. I mean, like, it's incredibly smart. What it wanted to do was, like, what am I do? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll talk about it, because basically at the end, he uh, gets inside Major Kusanagi's brain or or gets her to come inside his, its brain, and he wants to blend with her to create a whole other creature. And it's kind of... This question of what makes you an individual, like she, that's the whole question throughout the whole thing. Like, is it her memories that make her individual or her like DNA or her brain cells or her thoughts and feelings? And can, you know, if some of that is put into a robot, is that robot her or is, you know, it's just, it's very liminal. 
And so there's that question at the end of like, if I combine with you, am I going to be me? And he's like, well, no, you're not going to be you and I'm not going to be me, but we're going to be a new thing together. And his whole thing is like, I'm sentient. I know it, but I'm not, I'm not able to create life and I'm not able to die. So by doing this with me, we're going to create the new thing this yeah. new thing and we're gonna that's die. not we're not making a copy we're making something new so he's totally he's trying to replicate the like x y you know yeah from you know it's like half of you and half of me new thing yeah. that's different from us but shares our dna like he wants to do that and he realizes that in doing so he will no longer exist and therefore will die and to the puppet master that makes that will make him human. That's yeah. like the last piece of the puzzle. Yeah, that's a good point that I didn't think about. That he was like, humans, they recreate and they die. And if I recreate by myself, it's just a replica. And eventually that will die out because create copying the same thing over and over again, again, eventually it'll degrade and disappear. But I want to be able to create something new. And I want to be able to die. So that's, that's very interesting. So and another way of looking at this too is that like, if you think about like evolutionary speciesization, um, it's you you can know that a species has become another species when it can no longer mate with the other the older species. Yeah. So like if you have like a like a a donkey and a horse and they they've gotten to the point where they can't mate and have like offspring that are viable sexually. Yeah. But this is kind of the opposite of that, where like a computer program and a human who's basically been turned into a computer have converged to the point where like they can do a sort of mating and create a child. That's a good point. It raises even further questions about, like, well, there is almost literally no difference. It's just a a different kind of reproduction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, this uh, AI and whatever it is that they have created is put into the body of, like, a child, a little girl. And um, the person who put him there is um, Major Kusanagi's partner, What is his name? Bato. Bato. And Bato doesn't do it because he's like, this is a child you have created. He just gets whatever body, but it is ironically a, a, you know, a child Mm -hmm. and therefore it kind of completes the cycle. Right. Like we as the viewer are like, oh, I see what you did Yeah. But he's just very much like, that's all I could get on the black market. Yeah. And you're like, oh, layers. (laughs) (laughs) That was a very interesting, I've never seen it. I knew about it for a long time, obviously, and there's several different versions of it. Yeah. Um, so I want to speak about those for a second, but before I do that, I want to talk. ask Emily, what did you hear about? What did you know about Ghost in the Shell going into it? I knew less about Ghost in the Shell. All I knew is it had something to do with computers, and uh, dude was naked for a while, and that's about it. You mean Mokudo, uh, Kusanagi was naked. Kusanagi was naked, There was yeah. a lot of unnecessary tits in that movie. There was some interesting uh, <laughs> we choices. We talked a lot about that, actually, while watching it. Yeah, it's not that I... It bothered me that she was naked. It's just, like, when she chose to be naked and when she chose not to be naked. And, for instance, diving in the sea doesn't choose to be naked. <laughs> Running around Tokyo, naked. So... Well, and so we, well naked and visible. <laughs> naked and visible with invisible socks. Right, so we talked about it because she does get naked and we're like, oh, well, maybe... 
the thermoptic camouflage that she uses all the time is built into her skin as like a part of her right. super cool body. Yeah. Which like makes sense except Which that she's, it is, but she's also wearing socks that right. go invisible too. Yeah. The whole and time. Gloves and holster or something. and everything yeah. else that she goes invisible with. So it's like, well, wait a second, could you just put on clothes? Right. Plus there's another dude that goes invisible. Who doesn't take off his clothes. Who doesn't need to take off his clothes. And so, like, clearly... <laughs> he wears a coat. That can be made coat. from fabric. Like, you so, don't need to be invisible. I think part invisible. of it, it does kind of serve a purpose. In a, I mean, fan service, A, number one. The best purpose. But B, number two, <laughs> it, it, what you were saying the other yesterday, like, about her, her views on her body, it's just an object to her. It's not... Because her. the only thing that remains of herself is, like, the portions, like, the small traces of her brain that are still... Yeah. Human. And so she just treats her body like a tool and like an mm. object, and she doesn't care that much for. It. I mean, she even rips off her own arms at some point. Yeah, like, like she doesn't even care. Um, yeah, it might be because she's a little crazy at that point, but <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, she just treats it like a tool. Yeah. she's not concerned. So I think that's because she knows part it can be replaced. And yeah. I, yeah, and I made a joke about like, well, it's this is work naked time <laughs> versus personal naked time. <laughs> Because there are moments that you you mentioned Emily, you're like, why is he covering her up? Or like, why yeah. is this like why why is there this modesty now? And um, or like on the on the boat, like you were saying, yeah. like what she goes he turns away. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, changing. So there's like this, the, like you said, there's almost that like she knows she doesn't own her body, and she says as much. And so when she's like, oh, if I'm getting naked to, you know, utilize my invisibility skin. Than whatever. Yeah. But, right, like, if we're hanging out having a beer, then I'm going to be modest well, because... It's not her that's what's, modest one. It's Bato every time. Yeah, I was going to say, Bato, Bato is the one, is the one who has a problem about it's, it. She, like, he obviously doesn't think of his body or her body as a tool, but as, like, a vessel for her. Yeah. And he, uh, yeah, twice he covers her with his coat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, when they're on the boat, he turns away. That's right. And when he gets her a new body, he dresses her in this, like, high-necked, right. long-sleeved dress. <laughs> which I was like, that's really not her style. Have you seen <laughs> you her? Like, she just assumed go naked. Like, yeah, yeah. She, yeah. She wants a crop jacket or she wants to be naked. <laughs> yeah, crop jacket or nothing. So there are a few things I want to talk about. Uh, uh, the Ghost of the Shell. The, the guy who originally wrote the manga is ma- named uh, Matsume Shiro. Mm-hmm. And it may interest you to know that... Uh, this was his one mainstream success. Oh. The rest of the things he does are are porn. Basically just porn. Well, that hentai. makes sense. Okay. Like, big time hentai. Interesting. Yeah, time including, hentai. Including, like, cybernetically enhanced, like, like internet gangbang hentai. Like, weird stuff like That's that. That's interesting. So, like, this is, like, he's very famous for this one thing, but besides that, he's just, like, a porn author. They're Not like- just. He makes incredible porn, but... There was a lot. I mean, of... it is beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. And but it's funny because also like there's Ghost in the Shell porn that he drew mm. because he owns the license. Mm. So he's just he like, did. I'm gonna go crazy. Why not? Yeah. But anyways, go on. No, I was gonna say like there was a lot. I mean, sometimes this is just you chalk it up to like it being anime. Right. But there was a lot of like gratuitous ass shots and. <laughs> Not just that, but, like, the way that she chose to sat in certain positions. And I was like, is that entirely necessary to sit with your legs spread that way? <laughs> and it was, it's very... It's not ladylike, but also... She's sexual. Part of your ro- she's like a robot. And like, yeah. She's also, like, a bad at Like, she's, like, one of the... She's one of the guys, kind of. Like, she's... Yeah. She's, like, militarized in a way. Yeah, and the, I don't mm. think that it was at all her... 
I mean... Like, out of character. Clear, right. I didn't think it was out of character. It was clearly... It was the camera shots, if you can say that, about mm-hmm. an anime that were showing her in these positions. It was not her, her positioning herself. Yeah. So, I, I, I can see it. I don't think it... It was particularly sexual. But now that knowing it, that the author does pornography, are you kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, I don't, it doesn't really that. change my opinion about it just because I think there was a lot of distinctly unsexual, you know, portrayals of her. But I think that it makes sense as to how it was shot, I guess, yeah. if you're yeah. talking. You know? yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. like one of the things I wanted to talk about. The other one was that um, there's like a lot of extra media about Ghost in the Shell, a lot of manga, a lot of. There's, like, TV shows. There's, like, a Ghost in the Shell 2. There's, like, all sorts of other stuff. And um, a lot of it is extremely good, and a lot of it's not. Um, it's a hit or miss, then. It's hit or miss. I would say the Ghost in the Shell standalone complex is, like, a really good TV show. It takes a lot of the concepts that you that we talk about in the movie and kind of, like, plays them, like, draws them out to, like, half-hour episodes and just oh. plays them for, like, one at a time so you can be, like... This is what it means to be a human. This is what it means to be a robot. This is what it means to be somewhere in between. And it's like a, it's a it's a TV series, so they have longer yeah. to deal with it, which is which makes it like really good in my opinion. Yeah. But um, additionally, Ghost in the Shell Two, the movie, yeah, is awful in my oh, opinion. Okay, it's like a a quote fest. Literally, like they don't go like three minutes without quoting like a philosopher or like oh, someone that's else obnoxious. and it gets really old really fast they're trying to make it real philosophical exactly and... they're really pushing hard for that and it, and it like there's a cool storyline and like the major comes back and like and like you know infects a bunch of robot like geishas and they come like tumbling through the ceiling and killing people it's really cool but like at the same time it's like get over it like don't quote Nietzsche at me. Oh, okay. oh, can we also just real quick talk about how, like, when we were watching Blade Runner, and it's a little bit with Ghost in the Shell, except it wasn't so, like, blatant, but, like, it's one of those things where it's, like, so apparently, and then, like, in the future, uh, like, like, geishas are still totally a thing. Like, there's this, <laughs> like, permeation of Asian culture that, yeah. like, yeah. still continues, and I wonder if that has... Like, where that influence comes from. So that's one of the, like, the cyberpunk tropes is, like, the, the, I actually read somewhere, I think it might have been TV tropes, their definition was, like, um, one of the, the common themes in cyberpunk is, like, the fear of East Asian economic hegemonies. Hegemony. Hegemony. We talked about hegemony, remember? (laughs) We speak words good. Yeah. Um, Remember the last time we were talking about dystopia, we were talking about hegemons. Yeah. um, And it's the the cultural and economic domination of one culture versus another. So in in cyberpunk, one of the the common themes is like the the cultural and economic domination of everything by Asian companies or by Asian countries. Interesting. So it's like Batu or like something like that. Mm. So it's interesting. And that's why like a lot of it kind of like has like Asian feels and like they have like Asian words everywhere. Yeah. I mean, that's the same thing with like everyone acted like it was a real big thing in in Firefly, but like that was the thing that's been going Mm -hmm. on for a while. Well, it makes sense too because like around the 80s when uh, the 70s when the stuff was coming out, like that was like a big concern, you know, like well, I think specifically... Japanese, super companies. Yeah. Um, what we watched Blade Runner and Ghost in the Shell and The Matrix, that was all 
80s, 90s, 2000s. That's something important to mention. That's definitely, like, that was a, a big thing that we learned growing up. Like, that was when we were growing up. Uh, about, like, how China was going to rule the world one day, and they yeah. still may, you know. Um, but that's something, actually, I want to mention, too, is that, like, all these narratives came, came up in, like, a real short amount of time. Like, yeah. I'd say, like, between 70 and, like, 2000. Well, I think that's part of the, I mean, it's the years, technology. Right? 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> but, between 70s and the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah so like that's the books came years. first and then the movies came. But like yeah. the movies were all made like in the late 90s, early 2000s. Like it was a 10-year span where like yeah. all of these cyberpunk movies got made. And then there was also like maybe a 15-year span before that where all the cyberpunk novels got made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like there were like very distinct like moments in time and like I kind of think that maybe that time for this subgenre is almost past. I honestly think that's correct because I think people have a different uh, view of technology right now Mm -hmm. and they're all into the smart houses and the... I mean, technology has advanced to a point where it is not as obtrusive as you would need to make a cyberpunk. Kind of agree, Like, um, you know, they all... I'm thinking of the Matrix where they had like brain plugs and like lots of wires everywhere. And like, we don't need that. We just have a screen. Yeah, wireless is a thing. Bluetooth. So I mean, now technology is smaller and well, yeah. I mean, we look at um, Blade Runner takes place. The setting is um, 2019. 2019. Yeah, and they're like they have flying cars, but then you look at like. Look at the... They still have phone booths. Yeah. That's something that does not exist. Now, mind you, it had, like, a little, like, video thing. <laughs> but, like... But, like they still have phone booths. Phone like, booths and physical pictures. Yeah, physical pictures were all over that movie. Oh, yeah. my God. Which was very strange. It was very strange. And, and the, in Ghost in the Shell as well. They had physical pictures? Yeah, the guy was like, this is my daughter. And they're like, oh, look at this yeah. picture you showed your coworker. That's a dog. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I guess, like, so part of it is that, like, we've kind of outstripped lots of the technological terrors that yeah. like, these these cyberpunk things have described to us. But then another part of it is that also, in so doing, we've discovered that, like, it's not so bad. <laughs> like, well, I think... It's okay, really. I think the new genre that is going to take the place of cyberpunk is going to be this, like, like, her, that movie. Yeah. And it's going to be mm-hmm. definitely... Sleeker, like cleaner. I think and what you're describing is solar pump. More we were talking ordinary. about that earlier. Maybe I'm thinking more like it's going. The technology is going to be invisible. Mm. Um, but and, it's still going to be everywhere. But it's going to be everywhere, and so it may look more like our ordinary world, but it's going to um, be. It's going to look like magic in some respect. Yeah. You know. Oh, that's why I forgot. Um, dungeon punk. What is dungeon punk? Where everything is magic powered, but like to like a like a banal degree, where it's like doesn't even matter, you know? Like, oh, okay. Oh, I'm gonna throw up this magic bowl and it's gonna like light my way and guide mm. me to my next destination. Mm, okay. There's a, the podcast I love to listen to, The Adventure Zone. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. toss out there. So they have a like a steampunk called Adventure Zone Nights. K N I G H T S. Okay. It's like a cyberpunk world that. Um, well, is it steampunk or cyberpunk? Well. It's they they call it steampunk, okay. but the reason I'm bringing it up is because within that world, the 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 DM has created what he calls technomancy. Okay, yeah. And um, which is um, 
it's it's technology that's fueled by necromancy so it's like it it gives you like you have like this little bluetooth earpiece that allows you to talk to somebody who has died interesting and or you know and there's different there's different things like that or so you might have like a you might have like a little like eyepiece you put on but again that communicates with your bluetooth (laughs) piece your earpiece so that the person who's dead and who's like actively talking to you can see what you're seeing and guide you or whatever i thought that was a really interesting concept but right like where does that fall because it's magic but it's also technology so it's steampunk but also dungeon punk dungeon dungeon punk interesting um so one last thing i think before we should start wrapping up is like how does this like, what kind of, like, real-life things does this make us think about and worry, right, about, like, um, what well, is, the, like, the allure of these narratives? Yeah. Before we answer that, I'm really sorry. I want to talk about Chappie. Oh, we talked yeah. about Chappie before. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but no, I know, I've, I've, I know it, I told yeah. you about it. But basically, it's a really great movie. It's set in South Africa. And Neil Blomkamp is the director. Yeah. He did District 9. District 9. And it's very good. Um... Basically, this childlike robot who learns is given to these gangsters. And so he... Oh, I'm just remembering really good parts of it. But he is raised by gangsters, basically. And right. a lot of hilarity ensues. And at the end, um, his maker is dying for a reason. And he's like, I can fix you. And so he takes him to the robot laboratory and transfers his consciousness into a robot and it's hard to say that what he did was wrong because he definitely defo killed that guy so like <laughs> then his consciousness is in a robot now so like he's still the same guy yeah and it's like hard so i think that is what's part of the implication like it's kind of like a how can i live forever kind of deal mm. you know and this was an idea that you came up with before, Matthew. I don't know if you remember, but, like, if you had a um, car crash, you would just have your genetic material stored somewhere so someone could just create a clone of you and implant your memories. You could just map your consciousness and then implant... Before you go to sleep. Before you go to sleep every night. And then implant your consciousness into that new... And, like, is that you? Or, I mean, it has all your memories in it, it has all your attitudes and your feelings. So how is that not you? And yeah. I, I, you know... And, like, depends on how you think about it, right? Like, if you have, like, some very, like, strict version of, like, the soul in your mind... Yeah, like, I mean, if you're is, quite religious, then right. obviously that's not you, because your soul is gone. Right, but, like, if you think of, like, the tangible things that make a person a person, like their physical form and their identity and, like, their mind and memories and their sense of humor or whatever... If you can map that brain function into, like, an artificial machine, like, you're basically you. It's like... Yeah. You know, maybe, like, the the value, value mart version of you, but, like, also the value mart version of you that never dies. Yeah. You know, so like, yeah. Well, because, yeah, even when we talk about talking about religion, when you talk about, like, reincarnation, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, you're being born again. You don't remember your past lives unless you... Again, yeah. on like another, so unless you're on like another level where you're a medium yeah. or, or something like that where you can get in touch with your past lives. But like Ooh. people people generally who believe in reincarnation understand that like, oh, I'll be born again. But it's like, oh, I could be born into the consciousness of a dog and I won't remember being a human I or whatever. I would love to see a, a cyberpunk 
or maybe spirit punk. Uh, uh, new genre, TM, TM. TM, TM. But basically, one guy t- transfers his mind into a robot and lives for like a thousand years, and another guy keeps getting reincarnated over that thousand years, and they keep meeting. And the guy in the robot remembers, but the guy in the, the dog has to like rem- for remember every time. Yeah. Or whatever. When, and there's like, I think in Sandman, there's a character who gets eternal life, and like, it's kind of a... I really like the way they did that, because basically... Because it's like he's immortal. He, one, initially has to, like, get used to the fact that everyone around him will die and he will not. Mm -hmm. And then he has to keep creating new personas, basically. Mm -hmm. So, like, he's not going to die and he's still the same person. But then it's like, every so often I have to, like, disappear and die. And then create a new, but, like, come fully formed into the world as a grown man, too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like he has to do all this, like, extra work to, like, create his, like background story so that he can like go forward in the new time and like so like it's that kind of like if you can adjust to being immortal yeah i think can you you know and do it successfully without just being like i'm so sad everything dies and all my relationships seem so like trivial that vampire emo shit yeah i think part of it is also like this uh warning against playing god because mm. i think like pe- humans created these things and in almost all of them their creations turn on them oh you see a lot of daddy issues yeah yeah i guess so but also i think of it like maybe a different way like like it's the warning to be good stewards of what you create yeah or even like be conscious that what you're creating is a consciousness. Yeah, exactly. And, like, like you treated, need to be careful yeah. uh, what you do with the things that you create. It's a cautionary tale about, uh, like, playing God, but also, if you're going to play God, play God responsibly. Yeah. You, know, you can't you can't enslave replicants, and you can't, like, just turn off AI because it's not inconvenient all of a sudden. Right, right. You know, you have to do it responsibly. Yeah. There's, um, we talked about this, uh, the Penny Dreadful... Mm-hmm. which goes back to, like, the Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, um, which I bring up because, like, specifically in Penny Dreadful, Frankenstein creates, you know, the first monster, if you yeah. will. And the way it's portrayed in this television show is that he, like, totally freaks out and is like, holy shit, it yeah. worked, fuck, fuck, fuck. That's what happens and, in the book, too. <laughs> yeah, and but, like, abandons the creature. Yeah. And so that, you know, so that plays out pretty, like, true to form. And so then, like... The creature comes back to him and says, like, like in so many words, like, what the hell? Yeah, that's what happens in the book, too. Yeah. 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 In yeah, the yeah. book, he, he, the monster, like, starts reading on his own, like, Paradise Lost and all yeah. sorts of, like, real highbrow literature and comes back to him and he's like, hello, master. Like, yeah. hello, creator. Hello, father. Yeah, hello. father. And yeah. He, he, like, very politely asks, like, um, I need a lady. Right. Um, <laughs> make me a lady. And then when the guy refuses because he's like, you're a monster. He's like, I'm going to fuck you up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, yeah. Kills everyone no, he loves. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. But, it, right. It's, it's this kind of like, this is, this is what you wanted. Yeah. And then you didn't know what to do with it. Right. So you, I mean, like, literally, it's like, you know, a, a kid getting an animal and it's kind of like, oh, no, I really wanted that puppy, but I didn't want to take it on walks. And feed it, yeah, like I yeah. promised. Yeah. And I feel like you see that a lot. And the reason I bring up Frankenstein is because I feel like that's obviously, like, a great example of, like, I, cr- 
created life and then fucking abandoned it and it still yeah. survived. Oh dear. And I feel like you see that in cyberpunk with people creating these uh, cyborgs or, or right, like mm-hmm. replicants where it's like, oh, I'm really upset that you're now coming to me asking me for freedom or like in the Blade Runner, like they specifically want a longer lifespan. They're given yeah. this four year... Yeah. Lifespan. And the Matrix is the same way. Like we apparently, if you watch the Animatrix, like we treat robots really terribly after we create them, yeah. and then they return on us. Like you know, That's, yeah, I have seen the Animatrix. Yeah, so. yeah, we're just like shocked that yeah, they're right. upset. Yeah. So like, it's not only like a caution tale, like once again about creating something that you shouldn't be creating, yeah, but also about being responsible about it. After yeah, you it. I think part of it too is um, a feminist reading of this would be. When man tries to create life, mm-hmm. he's not ready for the responsibility and fucks it up royally every time. And that's just and that's why women give birth. Interesting. Yeah, putting it out there. That's an interesting theory. Um, I'm not going to dispute it at the moment, <laughs> but I'm extremely skeptical because I'm sure there were women on those teams. Like nobody creates like robots in a bubble. This smells <laughs> like white man science. Okay, last thing. Also. I just want to, like, could we create a, a cyberpunk film by taking an existing noir film and smushing technology into it? Yes. Yeah, real quick, noir is a big part of cyberpunk, and yeah. we didn't mention that, but... But look at fucking Blade Runner. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like you could just take, like, the Maltese Falcon and just smush, like, technology and cell phones into it, and you'd be like, boom, done, it's a cyberpunk movie. I'm sure that has been done, but probably nobody, like, of note did it. Yeah. I think these questions have to be in it. I think that it has to have these think so? themes of what made uh, the difference between humans and technology and what makes human, I think... Well, I think it's also, like, one of the major themes of cyberpunk is high life, or high, high tech, low life, right? And, like, mm. that fits noir, like, perfectly. I think that's one of, yes, the themes, but I think that it also has to have a question about it has to have this liminal stage in there somewhere Mm. like a question about the slide between humanity and uh computers right because the robot we made the humans made yeah and then they're they're becoming sentient it's something they do that we can't necessarily like because we can't claim it as our creation it's like oh you did this for yourself how do we how do we handle that? Yeah. I like, disagree. I think we could just take like a noir film and smash technology into it. I think it wouldn't be a good one. Okay, so I'll give you that. Okay. I think it will be kind of boring, but I think I it think would, it would qualify. It, I think it would pass all the marks. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I just before we leave, I also want to propose a drinking game. Oh, yes. Um, in the, I come from D.C., and in D.C. we have a drinking game called Get Down, Mr. President. And what you do is you put your finger, uh, you're drinking with your friends, and one person puts their fingers to their ear. To their index finger and the, the one right next to the middle finger. Yeah, um, to their ear. As if talking into uh, their a, sleeve. Uh, yeah, like they're talking into their sleeve like and pressing the uh, uh, earphone in their ear. And then if you see someone do that, you have to do that as well. And the last person to do that is uh, loses, and so everybody turns to them and goes, "Get down, Mr. President!" and they jump on him. And I think we should alter this game in honor of Blade Runner. Actually, we should start playing in 2019. Right. So I'm preparing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, in 2019, we can call we can call it. It's a replicant. 
Mr. Replicant. And so uh, instead of... You can maybe we can do this like uh, a little heart symbol over your heart. No, it's too obvious. Or like just your hand on your heart, maybe. Yeah. So we have to find a symbol that represents being human. Okay. And I'm thinking. I was thinking like doing that test. You know, he has the little. um, Oh, the eyeglass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you hold your hand in front of your eye like a telescope. Like they do in Blade Runner, they they focus the little test thing on the the the, the replicant the or the eye. person being tested. Yeah. And um, if the last person to have their hand over their eye loses, and you say it's a replicant, and you try and jump on them, they are allowed to run away. That's right. <laughs> You have to to commit. (laughs) I was going to say, like, oh, one person starts making origami animals. (laughs) And the last person to get their origami made. um, How about your your friends went to Harvard? They can do that. (laughs) You're exempt from it if you are making origami. That's right. You you can do the eye thing, or you can just start making origami. Yeah, Yeah. furiously throughout the night making origami, (laughs) so you don't have to play. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, I think this was a good one. I think we covered basically. We didn't talk about the Matrix a lot, but we do talk about it quite often. Yeah. So well, it came up in Dystopia, and I think everybody like at this point, except for Emily, has seen the Matrix. <laughs> I've seen the Animatrix. I just remembered that I'd seen it. <laughs> um, we'll have to do just like a Matrix specific episode. <laughs> for we? all the Harry Potter episodes we've done, I think we can stand to do a Matrix but episode. Harry Potter was so good. It is good. Uh, I was also going to throw out a Star good. Wars, or not, well, Star Wars and Star Trek specific, so maybe we could do something like yeah. that in the future, and maybe Matrix can find its way in there, but sure. no, pr- I mean, no promises. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for listening, uh, listeners, and... Join us next month when possibly we're doing werewolves. I don't know. Yeah, something may happen. But um, bye. 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 Hey, don't be a trope, you dopes. There you go. All right.